Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello everyone and welcome to History in Technicolor. I am joined by Wolf. Hello. And this week we are going to do a film called Good Vibrations. Now when I say Good Vibrations, Wolf, what is the first band that springs to your mind? Uh, Beach Boys. Correct. This is nothing about the... (laughs) Stop. Stop now immediately, otherwise you're fired. Uh, Everybody, just so that you know, right from the beginning, this has got nothing to do with uh, the Beach Boys. In fact, I think it's probably as diametrically opposed to the Beach Boys as you could probably get. I mean, I you know, I know it could be wrong, but there may be a bigger opposite, but it's a pretty big opposite. So, Good Vibrations, what is the movie? You may well not have heard of it, I imagine. Uh, it is the, This is the story of a man called Terry Hooley. Terry Hooley was a music enthusiast and his influence on the sec of the success of punk in Belfast during the Troubles is kind of legendary. Uh, I am covering it. Well, Wolf, you better ask me the question about, you might ask, why am I covering this movie? Um, David, why did you select this movie? Right. How interesting you should ask me that question. I'm covering it because it is a heartwarming film. And I've come to realise, Wolf, that feel-good movies are really pretty much the only movie I'm interested in. I mean, there's a part of the 12-year-old me that still lives within me, which is, which is interested in movies like Zulu and Master and Commander. But essentially, it's Notting Hill and uh, Chalet Girl for me. 
Uh, what about okay. the Dolly Parton Christmas movie? Actually, that's very um, good. Jay, was that the absolutely appalling musical we watched? Yeah, that made me want to cut my liver out and eat it in front of everybody. Yeah, I think that is the movie. Uh, so no, not that one. But Chalet Girl, yeah. Anyway, uh, so it's a heartwarming film, or I found it to be so. You may not have done. It's full of great music. Uh, and it's funny, too, in a situation that really wasn't very funny because it's set against the background of the Troubles. Uh, at the same time, it kind of has the ring of truth about it. It creates a fully rounded figure of Hooli, or I think it does. And, yeah, uh, it's low budget, and that has the feel of truth to me. You know, it feels like a... Uh, a gritty uh, low-budget movie, which I rather like, rather than a big schlocky blockbuster like, for example, The Last of the Mohicans. Um, and it does a really good job of describing why punk worked at that time and that place. Um, and when I were a lad and uh, punk was current, um, I was a middle-class lad in a in a nice grammar school, so I found punks a bit scary. So that's why. Uh, does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, it makes makes complete sense. So let me ask you a question, because we watched this together, didn't we? Yep. The the family. Um, because I'd said, why didn't we watch this together as a family during lockdown and then discuss it on Zoom? And once I'd done that, none of you watched it, did you? No. So it wasn't until, until we together and I could shackle you to the uh, to the sofas and then beat you with an ash twig that you actually watch, watched it. That is correct. Yeah, did you find the ash twig irritating, getting your way in the, the enjoyment of the movie? Um, no, no. Uh, and sometimes I enjoyed it more than the movie. <laughs> oh dear. So, I mean, I, my my um, reflection on the watching it togetherness was that there wasn't a great whoop of joy at any point during the movie from either you or Millie or indeed anybody, and you went to, to bed in silence. Um, Did you enjoy the movie? Yeah. Okay, so there's something I have to admit straight off the bat. Uh I knew nothing about anyone or anything in this movie. and had (laughs) Nor did I, actually, when I first saw it. Yeah, interesting. See, I thought you... I presumed you maybe had loose memories, connections to the story, remember headlines, bits of music, and there was some nostalgia for the time period, of which I had none of that. Um, so uh-huh. I kind of thought that maybe I wasn't the target audience. Um, and when right. I was looking through the reviews of this movie and seeing all these people like Mark Commode and everyone talking about it, I was like, oh, this kind of makes sense that people from that era and that age might really enjoy this film, which, you know, it didn't connect to me. Um, okay, that being said, I first of all, I did, it's a, it was fine. I thought the movie was fine. Bits of it I quite enjoyed. Um, I just had some issues with it, which we can talk about later, but I thought the music was great. I thought the story uh-huh. was fun, uh, slightly uplifting. Um, it features two members of the cast from Game of Thrones, for anyone out there who's interested. Um, oh, that's fair. That could be right. <laughs> so obviously the lead, uh, Richard Dormer, uh, he was Beric Dondarrion. Yes. And then yeah. Liam Cunningham, who's pretty funny in this movie, uh, played Davos. Mm. Yes. The cast also includes Jodie Whittaker, uh, Dylan Moran. Um, there was, yeah, there were some good names in there. So, okay. So uh, you thought it was kind of okay. You are praising with a very, very faint praise. Okay, 2013. 
low budget movie um it creates a lot of funding uh in ireland and northern ireland northern ireland it takes us broadly speaking from hula's life in 1960s and 1970s belfast from 60s belfast but focuses on the troubles during the 70s it's basically a biopic of part of a slice of terry hula's life the most exciting bit possibly um terry hula is known as the godfather of punk and it's not a complete thing you know it ends at the end with an iconic punk gig uh, headlined by the outcasts that happened i think in 1980 and um, terry hooley keeps on going in his life opening and closing uh, record stores there it was the director was lisa barrost sir um, a producer and director known uh, for a couple of other films one called ordinary love in 2019 which i'd never heard of but i think if you're a cognoscenti maybe you have it stars, as you say, Jodie Whittaker uh, as Ruth, as his first wife. Ruth, who is actually a playwright and poet, though that doesn't come across in the film, which I think was probably one of Millie's issues with the movie, I assume, and you might have the same one. Well, I have a lot of problems with that character. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, Richard Dormer and Liam Cunningham, you've already mentioned. It tells a story about... Um, how Terry Hooley starts off as a great enthusiast for, for music. It describes how he then gets into punk. And it at the centre of it is a story that I did know, which is about how punk takes off in Northern Ireland. How, I mean, when I was a lad, the, the group I liked most was Stiff Little Fingers. I hadn't heard of Outcasts or Rudy, but both of those came across very well in the film and how he organizes a film label and sorry record label um from the back of an envelope creates a label and his big success is the undertones and at the heart of the film is that story about how john peel recognizes the undertones and the undertones become this massive band and then it ends on a gig when everybody gets together and uh, it ends with him singing a song. And it's kind of got a good uplifting feeling that these young people are finding meaning in their lives through punk at a time of incredible strife. And that's where it ends. So how convincing did you find the portrayal in the movie of The Troubles? Um, I... <sighs> If I'm being slightly harsh, I'd say what troubles? Um, because there's mm-hmm. almost no history uh, of the time period that's particularly conveyed to me in a way that I remember. Um, that is being slightly harsh. There's a series of montages of, of like news footage and historical footage from the time, um, which is used every now and then just to remind me, like you know, what's happening, and that's there and. People make reference to it and there are a few connections, but I always view this as a history movie about Terry Hooley and the music. And The the Troubles is just something that exists in the background uh, and wasn't even used that much to produce tension and drama within the film for me. So, yeah, I didn't learn anything no, it wasn't, about yeah. The Troubles. No. I thought, the tr- I thought it dealt... Brilliantly with the troubles, actually, just to take exception. 
You're absolutely right. It doesn't tell you about the history of the Troubles. But I think it does that very consciously because the story is about how punk creates meaning for people caught in a war which is not of their, that they're not interested in. So I did a project, and um, we're getting into history here, but uh, about 18 months ago on Henley on Thames and the English Civil War. And the very strong impression you got from that, and you got from many studies of the uh, English Civil War, actually, is that there was a struggle between two groups of people, and the ordinary people just tried to get on with their lives and survive it, which is not a romantic story. It's not the great story of great change and all the rest of it and great seismic political movement movements, but it's quite convincing. And that's the story here. The story here is how Terry Hooley, I think, helps young people who are already finding meaning in punk and makes spreads that message, gets more people and more recognition for punk, and therefore gives people an out from the troubles. And therefore the troubles are knocked back into the background on purpose. Needs to remind us what the context is, how violent life was there, but that's not the story, and it's not going to let that let it take over the story. That's yeah, my I, view anyway. I agree. Um, I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing when I say that I didn't learn much about the Troubles. That's just more from a history side, being truthfully mm. honest. That, that's not the priority of the movie, so as an audience member, I don't gain much from it. It did remind me, I guess the only other thing I've been watching is Derry Girls, where there are all, all, there are, you get all these references to like um, the army coming in and there's this bomb gone off and uh you know a car bomb or something but these are all things that happen in the background and they don't really affect the actual stories of your characters so i think it's an i think it's an interesting focus and i have no objections with how they choose to kind of push it to the background i think the only thing i would say is when when the soldiers arrive in that one scene or when when the troubles Mm -hmm. kind of injects itself back in it can't be kept at bay completely i don't find those scenes that successful because it's constantly being pushed away so they didn't work as well for me i get this slight moment but i'm always kept slightly at a distance from it and see i i really liked that scene with the army for different reasons the scene with the i with the iuc it's resolutely yeah. non-political, isn't it? It re- resolutely does not take sides between... It's not sectarian. And indeed, I think they overblow that a bit because they paint a picture of 60s Belfast, which was supposed to be about, oh, we were a normal society that just argued about politics. And I think that's slightly disingenuous. You know, sectarianism has been a living, breathing part of Northern Ireland, I would argue, for a long time. But then I'm not Northern Irish, so... Um, I can be corrected on that. But I didn't find that that convincing. But once we're in it, once we're in the troubles, it resolutely refuses to take sides. And that's, once again, because that's not what the movie's about. The movie is about ordinary people trying to make a life. And part of that, part of those, or one of the groups of those ordinary people is the army. These aren't people who want to be there, particularly. It is their job. They signed up there to be in the army, so fair dues. They've got to do their duty. But they have no great animus. You know, we're not identifying baddies here. The situation is the baddie. So, I mean, that's my... I, for me, that scene works really well because it creates a unity of experience from all sides. You've got Catholics, Protestants... 
army folks all in yeah. that. It it sets everybody out essentially as the bad guy, but without there being one single figure. So for example The bad guys the troubles. So when those Nazis like trash his store, the whole movie isn't about how they're the enemy. Yeah. They're just one kind of force that's operating at this time. I mean, I think there are a couple of occasions, that's one of them, where the troubles in do intervene so that you are aware that not just from the montages that it has an effect on society. The other one is where they go into the group and Rudy play one of their songs, S-S-R-U-C, and everybody gets behind it and the R-U-C beat a hasty retreat and leave the, the, young, the young folks to doing what they're doing, which is just listening to music. Okay. And I think that gives you a slice of the intervention of um, the troubles in that being said, life. which I agree that that scene is a good scene, uh, yep. one of the best scenes in the movie. Do you mm-hmm. think that the movie ever suffers because it doesn't really display that many more occasions of the the kind of true anger and revolution and that punk attitude that's coming through in their music? Because surely all of their music is politically inspired, and yet the film is apolitical. I don't, I don't know enough because I'm not Northern Irish and haven't lived through that. And you know, I come from Loughborough. What all we saw was on the news. But my feeling about the the message of the movie is that the fury it presents is the fury of people caught up in a in a situation that they don't want to be in, and that. There's a whole load of people in that situation who are not taking sides and don't want yes. them to be sides. And that's the point of the movie. So, I mean, you might want, uh, you know, in our, our days of Twitter political controversy, we might want a hard-hitting political drama, and there are loads of those. You know, uh, The Hunger or whatever. It is not The Hunger. I get get mixed up. The one about, you know, Bobby Sands in the, uh, the McQueen movie. They're all over the place, films about the troubles and the political divide and things, films that take sides. This isn't about that. It consciously rejects that story about political anger. And it's a story about people getting on with their lives or wanting to, and about yep. music and a person, Terry Hooley, who enables that. Well, that's my view anyway. And that's why I like this movie. It consciously says, solve the politics. Um, yeah, agreed. Time. I completely understand that. Uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily argue with that because obviously that's how you feel about it. And it, and it does try to do that. Mm. I, for myself, maybe wanted the film to use more of the tension and the drama to hit slightly harder, but in at strategic moments, just so that it can make the finale a little bit more inspiring for me. Like I'd like a little bit more up and down. The film kind of rests at this consistent level. Now, come on, let's let's deal with that one then. So how did you feel when we got to the heart of the movie, which is his discovery of the undertones and the moment when John Peel plays Teenage Kicks twice on the radio? How did I feel? I was like, oh, uh, great. You're barely human, Wolf, okay? I mean, I don't want to be insulting, obviously, but you're barely human. So you weren't jumping around. The, well, of course, I know you weren't jumping in the room because because I was there. I mean, that was a fantastic moment that I absolutely loved when he found the mo- moment in the uh, recording studio when they realized what gold they had there and the moment when John Peel played it and suddenly this small band from from Northern Ireland 
uh, you know, hit the big time. Yeah, no, I mean, it is great. Um, although I can never forget Terry Hooley basically having no interest in listening to them perform, having very interest, little interest in supporting them, and just going, just being like, oh, whatever, okay, sure, I'll let you record something, but I assume it's going to be crap. Oh my God, suddenly it's the greatest song I've ever heard. And yeah, that little moment, you it's how did we capture that? But uh, maybe it's because I find Terry Hooley annoying as a person. Yes, I can see why you might. We'll come on to that in a moment, actually. I mean, just to finish that, I would argue with you that um, he's he gives them a chance and nobody else was going to give them a chance. And he goes and hawks their record round London and he creates their chance to say that he was dismissive of them. It's a little yeah, bit do, harsh on you. You do remember when they come argue. into his store, and yeah, he doesn't think they're going to be great. But then he gives, he does get the studio for them, and he does recognise the quality. And then he spends his life hawking their record, still as yet completely unproven, all the way around London. Yes, despite getting but lots when of they're PFOs. recording, he's not even bothering to be there for a while, and he turns up and he's like, "Ah, oh, was this was this terrible?" And he asks the guy, and obviously. Davos Seaworthy's like, that's the greatest thing I've ever recorded. And he's like, oh my God, I'm quicker, but I put my headphones on. Right, okay. Well, you know, I think... It it is a bit harsh. harsh. I think it's because, to me, Terry Hooley, and we'll come on to him, as you said, I think he's a little bit out for himself, at least in this portrayal of the movie. And because he's so out for himself, how do I put this? If I was following the band, if I was following the undertones, if I was following the bunch of kids and they manage to break through, and they get this one song recorded, and it's their one shot, come on, boys, we can do this. And they record it, and they're waiting, and then they're like, oh, it's amazing. And then they go to London. I'm like, yeah, I'm all in. But I'm wrapped up in the story of this like kind of power-hungry, a little bit self-obsessed music producer who's trying to make it big and have this huge impact. So I always feel like I'm yeah. slightly on the – how do I put this? When I watch band biopics – the evil character in any band biopic is always the producer. They're yes. always the evil producer who like abuses the band, like robs them of money, who's like makes them compromise and sell out. Uh, the producer is the man. And in this movie, we're on the side of the producer. So I'm always slightly on the wrong side of the story, but that's just for me. But then he's not a producer in that in that normal fashion, the producer normally is uh, the chat with money and who is out for money. And one thing about Terry Hooley, which is actually a bit annoying, but I think quite realistic, is that he's not out for the money. And I think that's very well drawn. Before we move on to that, though, could I just finish off the point about yep. um, the troubles and say that it's quite interesting that your view and my view about, you know, whether you want more or less of the troubles is interestingly um, reflected in two of the bands that in the movie. So the undertones and Stiff Little Fingers, we don't see much anything of the Stiff Little Fingers, we just hear one of their songs, uh, Alternative Ulster. And actually those bands at the time got at each other quite a lot because the undertones completely ignored the troubles in their music. The Stiff Little Fingers never did. And they, the undertones said, well, look, let's not be dominated by the troubles. That's not what we're about. What we're about is great music. And the Stiff Little Fingers says, well, it's, you're pretending it's not going on at all. And that kind of dynamic to be between SLF and um, the undertones is actually in the, mu- in the film too, which um, I think is really interesting. I always think it's very funny when they go on top of the pops and uh, somebody says, look at, the, look, at the tr- look at the clothes they're wearing. Anyway. Um, so going, so that was just uh, one reflection. So going back to this thing about Terry, then let's talk about that. 
one of the things I really like about the movie is that this isn't a this isn't a hagiography. It is in a sense that obviously somebody, uh, maybe the, Nor- the Northern Irish director Lisa, uh, has said this is a great figure and I want to talk about them. But it's not a hagiography in the sense that it just presents this golden figure. Terry Hooley is stubborn as a bloody mule. He's got his all his father in him. And I think that father-son dynamic is really interesting. He is completely uninterested in movie and he, in money and ignores the people around him and his family who are understandably a bit more interested in money because they're having to deal with the fallout. He is very self-obsessed. At the last scene when you have the big show in Ulster Hall, you think he's right in the middle of that. And you can understand why he would be, given that all, how hard he's worked for these bands. But he's, he's lapping it up the glory. And then there's the scene where he basically lets one of the bands down, uh, Rudy, I think, or is it The Outcasts, and forgets to insert the record into their promotion item. And that was their one big chance. And he he messes it up for it. He doesn't really say sorry for it. He's not an easy character. And he's clearly not an easy man. But he believes in something passionately. And he helps the people that he wants to help in that the the young people of Belfast get something amazing from him, despite him as a difficult person. So do you think it's a completely neutral perspective of him? Or do you think the movie falls to one side on whether everything he did was worth it, whether his negative qualities can be excused? It's not a balance sheet. And life isn't a balance sheet, he says philosophically. And history isn't a balance sheet. You don't have to say at the end of it, let me take Cromwell, for example. Cromwell does viciously uh, horrible things and he does some amazing things. You cannot reconcile the two. You cannot say... Well, on balance, I think we should or shouldn't have had an Oliver Cromwell. But you have to keep both things in your mind. So Terry Hooley did some amazing things for the young people of Belfast and for punk rock and to put it on the map in Belfast. He also treated some of the people close to him very dismissively and he was clearly very egocentric. Those Um, things both exist together. And the film... Puts them both up there. Agreed. But uh, I'll raise you this point. If the movie is completely neutral, uh, so it's presenting kind of all sides to the story. Well, it's not neutral. Okay, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, it's not necessarily story, like yeah. pro-Terry or anti-Terry. Um, yeah. I still think that it, for example, the Jodie Whittaker character as his wife is so sidelined in the movie. Yeah. And when he does terrible things to her and the family, yeah. the consequences are never displayed. So... It, I think the heights no, of his true. achievements are really dwelt on and you really explore them and you see all of the amazing things that happen. Yeah. The negatives are mentioned and quickly brushed over. So I slightly feel like, to me, the movie uh, yes. still wants us to be behind him. So it knows that he does a lot of crap, stupid things, like putting his family's home um, down on the like bank loan and then losing that so that his wife loses her home as well. And she basically gave him everything. He didn't, he didn't have anything. So he lost everything of hers and wasn't even sorry about it. Um, and the movie's like, uh, okay, quick brush over that. Yeah. yeah. They'll break up and she'll raise the kid on her own. If it was a hagiography, that Agreed, wouldn't have been in there. But I still think that it's not particularly harsh on him. 
I still think it slightly pulls its punches. Well, of course, um, people have done the movie because they think Terry Hooley is brilliant and a story worth telling and they don't want to make it um, a work of misery. But think back to Thomas More and The Man for All Seasons, another one where we, we disagreed. It's Terry Hooley. Because uh, you thought, you know, one of the... <laughs> Terry, Thomas More was... Uh, a Man for All Seasons is hagiography. Yeah, everything Thomas More does is correct and something we're meant to, in that film, look up to and aspire to. This is nothing like that. You see all those things that you've said, they're all there a bit brushed aside. They're all in the okay, movie. Okay, I hear your point. I, and I won't, I won't argue too much with it. I just think that it still ultimately kind of needs us to be a little bit on Terry's side and to keep the story going, which I understand. Also, it, yes. am I right that it's based on his memory and his account of everything that happened, like his own autobiography of a sense. Uh, my understanding is they spoke to a lot of people, him, but many, many other people as well. So his daughter is on record as saying that, uh, for example, that she didn't particularly like the movie because it made it look as though he deserted her and that wasn't true, yeah. which is interesting. And I do agree with you about the drawing of his wife is very thinly done and... You see a little tiny bit of the fact that she's a social worker. And I assume, therefore, that her work as a playwright and a poet and a, a leader of cultural projects in Northern Ireland come after her marriage to him. So I agree, you know, that's not the focus of the movie. And that's, you know, it's done in... And she kind of forgives him and you, you see that happen. You know, that's... If you wanted a fuller, deeper story, then yeah, I, she should have been in it more. I think there's a limit to the amount you can put in a movie but you know there I is agree. She's dealt um, in a very shallow so way. i don't i won't dwell on it too much i just think everyone apart from terry is dealt with quite shallowly they're kind of everything has to support his story and just kind of yeah. push him forward yeah it's a it's a biography yeah it's, well i mean actually the one scene you the one scene that most annoys me in the whole movie is the one you talk about which is him getting up on stage at the end and taking all of the credit and the reason it annoys yes. me and this is why it highlights most perfectly why I dislike him is that either while he's on stage or just prior, he talks about how the movement should have no figurehead and the movement, it shouldn't be about Terry Hooley. It's yes. about the music. It's about the bands. It's about punk in Northern Ireland. And then he's like, ah, screw that. It's all about Terry, Terry, Terry. And he's like, he's lapping it up. I just, <laughs> I want him to be a bigger person and to actually, I don't think he practices what he yes. preaches. And I know the movie is just clear and honest about that. So that's why I'm able to make that interpretation. I think that's why it's such a good movie, because I like I like the figure of his father. I mean, his father is, is as miserable as hell. And I like the I like the um, coverage of his mother, too. I mean, both these they don't get much of the film. But his father is an incredibly difficult sod who believes very much in his communist ideals and will not compromise. And. Everybody around him, you can tell, has had to compromise so that he cannot compromise. And that's what Terry Hooley is like, too. He's like his father. And that it makes the point, intelligently, I think, that heroes or great, great events have a cost. And the cost is paid by the people around yeah. Terry Hooley. I think that's great that a feel-good movie, which I think is very funny and quite uplifting, is able at the same time to tell that story. That is an interesting way to look at it because I always, I think I was ultimately being like, I know that you're telling me this is a feel good movie. So I was concerned that it was in some ways being really accepting of all the things that he does. 
and being really accepting of the contradictions that he employs. Like he seems to exhibit so many of the personality traits and desires which he opposes. But you, di- you didn't need any of that stuff. You didn't need, as a filmmaker, to put in the incident where he forgets to put the record in. You didn't need to show the moment when it came out that he'd mortgaged his house against the, you know, cutting the record. The whole load of things you didn't need to put in there that they put in. And that's surely to their credit. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying... I, I think just what I mean is I find his contradictions, while perhaps interesting, mostly frustrating. Okay, did you find it funny? Uh, yeah, I did. I particularly thought that uh, the the studio production guy, uh, Sir Davos, um, was pretty funny uh, in his little role. Mm-hmm. It was very good. A lot of the young guys playing in the bands were pretty funny, and the hijinks they get up to on the road. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's very good. Yes, and there are some nice bits which felt very typical of the time and probably every time So when they, when they went out into the countryside. Uh, there were some uh, lovely dance scenes in the village halls with everybody sitting around the edge like wallflowers. There's, uh, there's also a funny moment, although it's a bit mean, of course, so I'm sure you'll hate it, with the, um, when the outcasts come up. having he, he signed Rudy and he's promised to cut him a record and Rudy says, God, there's no way anybody's ever going to uh, cut a record for us. And Terry says, yeah, I can, we can do this and does goes away and does it. Then the outcasts come out and say, hey, we'd love to hey, what about us? And he said, well, I'm not that pissed. And I thought that was quite funny, if though slightly mean. So I thought it was funny. I had lot, lots of humour in it. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice film and it's it's enjoyable. And who doesn't love being in a record store for most of a movie? It's a great place to be. And most of the time it's, you know, the movie's screaming, stick it to the man and and follow your love of music. So I'm, I'm all behind that. Okay. Anything else that you'd like to say about the movie as a success or failure as a film? No, I understand why people like it. It's just maybe not completely for me. And I think it's just a bit, mm-hmm. um, maybe not run of the mill in its story, but a bit run, in, run of the mill in terms of how it's physically like filmed and made. So whenever I found myself losing slight interest in what's happening on the screen, it wasn't being delivered to me in an interesting way that can help balance that out. Uh, yep. It does. Okay, then as a historical record, I mean, I spent a bit of time looking about how um, how accurate it was about Terry Hooley, and they seem to work very hard to keep it accurate about Terry. You know, it looks, uh, as far as biopics go, it seems to stick to all the different particular stages of his life, and um, he did have this these visions of Hank Williams and I Saw the Light. He did lose his sight in an eye. In an eye. It doesn't talk much about his involvement with the anti-Vietnam movement, the CND and the peace movements and that sort of thing. But that sort of came a bit before the focus of the movie. doesn't mention interesting things like the fact that he met John Lennon in London and had a, a screaming argument with him. Lennon was trying to raise money for the IRA at the time and Hooley uh, decked him, which I thought was quite an interesting yeah. story. That wasn't in the film. Really well, should have been. But I'm just- so, David, I'm guessing they don't put that scene in the movie because it's too political. Probably. I don't know why. And maybe John Lennon's estate would have sued yeah, him. I okay, don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I don't know. But um, that's quite an interesting story. The Rudy gig with the SSRUC chant apparently did happen. He he hated the outcasts. Actually, the outcasts apparently were much more violent than was shown in the film. Actually, yes, it says, and it says that. It, uh, Hooley did sign the stiff little fingers, which is quite interesting. So it's quite interesting they weren't in the movie because 
second to the Undertones. They're probably the biggest band, I'd have thought. And then there's the great, the John Peel story actually happened. And John Peel, you see, you're probably not aware that John Peel is the greatest DJ that ever lived. Um, I've heard people say it. Oh, there is that great scene where you see a young Tony Blackburn on top of the pops, though. I think it was Tony Blackburn. I'd have missed that one. It could well have been, yes. Because Tony Blackburn was actually trendy once, amazingly enough. Anyway, so that actually happens, and John Peel does and did, in fact, turn up at the uh, the Ulster Hall concert, which was great. So, and uh, Holy was attacked by the UFF uh, thug. So, did you notice, by the way, Adrian Dunbar in the world's worst wig? But I don't know who Adrian Dunbar is. You kept you kept saying that. But I'm like... Do you not know um, Line of Duty? Have you not oh, seen that? Oh no, he's in that. He's quite famous. He's quite famous. I think you could know him if you took the wig off actually so i thought historically speaking it was quite accurate and whereas the troubles don't as we've discussed don't come into it um in fine detail they are you know there's nothing inaccurate about them as it were so i thought historically as a biopic it was pretty accurate though far from complete because you know it's a slice of his life yeah i mean i i won't disagree that's uh, your research it sounds pretty good the reviews for the movie are very good. I read news. They are. Really People loved reviews. it, didn't they? So I understand that I'm slightly on the uh, outside, in my opinions. I think maybe, and it's not necessarily the film's fault, I just wanted to be on the side of the musicians a bit more. I wanted to kind of see how they felt and what it was like for them as the ones creating the music and being you know, having the passion to write and inspire and want to have that same influence on the people around. So I just was less interested in seeing it from the perspective of Terry Hooley. Mm-hmm. Okay, but it was unfortunate film <laughs> yeah, about Terry yes. Hooley, which is unfortunate. Uh, okay, great. So quality of film out of, out of 10? Five. Fine, and I will go for eight. Better than Last of the Mohicans. Love better than Last of the Mohicans. Considerably better, actually. I may put the Last of the Mohicans down to six in sympathy. <laughs> This is a far greater film. It's more honest. It's more amusing. It's more engaging. It's more real. It's gritty. It's not high budget. It's just a better movie than Last of the Mohicans. Well, I'm, I'm pleased for you, David. <laughs> okay, we'll agree to differ. And historic accuracy within its limits, because I think it is reasonably you know, accurate about his life. It doesn't tell the bigger picture in great detail, but nor is it inaccurate. So I'd give it an eight. Okay, yeah. I'll trust you on that. Uh, would you okay. recommend? Oh, yes. Well, I, of course, as you can tell, would recommend it enormously to anybody. Um, if you want a great movie with some really interesting music that you may not normally have listened to, um, and you want to see a, a slice of what music can do to a society and a group of people, then uh, I think it's a great movie. What about you? Yeah, I, I think I think most people will have a good time good time watching it. Pretty fun, and it's on the BFI player at the moment, I believe, in the UK. Uh, so people can watch that there through uh, whatever they want to use. Okay, well, we can't tell you what we're going to do next time, can we? Or yes, you have yeah, decided. We what we're going uh, to do, we're gonna do Bell, to and we're going to do the Private Life of Henry VIII. Yeah, so the Private Life of Henry VIII first, isn't it? And then the, the one after that, we're going to do Bell. Okay. So everybody, pile onto Facebook and tell Wolf that he's wrong. Or alternatively, pile onto Facebook and tell Wolf that he's right in thinking essentially this film sucks. Um, <laughs> and come and tell, tell us what you think of the movie. And we will see you next time. Okay, bye from and me. bye from me. 
deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.